Welcome back to another edition of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Cinema Junkie is on a holiday break, and I'll be posting archive shows in December and January. I'll be back with a new podcast on February 1st. This week, I decided to pull up an archive show appropriate for the Christmas season, but one with some perverse holiday cheer. That means turning to a podcast I did a couple years ago where I spoke with Mark Nutter and Cynthia Carl, the creators of Christmas Smackdown. You still have a chance to catch this year's show called Get Lit Hanukkah Special through December 23rd at Hallenbeck's General Store in North Hollywood. (laughs) But fair warning, the holiday songs they create are full of alcohol abuse, arson, decapitation, dinosaurs, divorce, demons, fatal sleigh accidents, and a lot more. Nutter and Carl have performed Christmas Smackdown in Los Angeles almost every year since about 2006. Except, of course, for that year that they forgot. Sometimes it's only Nutter and Carl performing, but this year they're joined by Brian Galepsi, Liesl Hansen, and Graham Skipper, all alums of my beloved Reanimator the Musical show. So enjoy some holiday cheer, cinema junkie style, with the creators of Christmas Smackdown. So here's the archive. How rich are our Christmas traditions, some are even older than the mall. As we watch the drifting snow, let the spike in eggnog flow, and we'll run through the ones we can recall. Here we come a-wassailing, tell me what the hell was that about? In days of yore, you'd break down a stranger's door and drink till his wife would throw you out. But in every Christian household, there are round red ornaments suspended from the piney boughs. Whatever do they represent? Heads, severed heads, severed heads. Okay, that should provide a clue to the kind of sick and twisted spin Cinema Junkie will be taking for this holiday episode. So consider that fair warning. I am straying a bit off the cinema path today because my two guests are so deliciously depraved that I couldn't resist ending the year with their annual Christmas Smackdown show. My guests today are Mark Nutter and Cynthia Carl. I was introduced to their work when I covered Reanimator the Musical for NPR back in 2011. Mark worked with Stuart Gordon to create a musical stage version of Gordon's 1985 Splatterfest film, Reanimator. There, that's my slim film connection for this episode. And Cynthia was in the cast. I fell in love with that musical, and I dedicated Podcast 41 to it, if you want to go back and take a listen. Then I heard that the two of them work on something called a Christmas Smackdown that was irreverent and hilarious. So I had to see it. This year was the first time that I could actually make a show. And I grabbed the two of them for a quick interview before their last performance of 2016. For a splash of Christmas red, let's hang, hang, let's hang, hang, let the severed Swedish heads. 
I am here in Hallenbeck's General Store for a very special Christmas episode. I am here with Mark Nutter and Cynthia Carl for Christmas Smackdown. So who wants to tell me what is a Christmas Smackdown? Yeah. What is, the Christmas Smackdown is, uh, I think in one of, one of our years we said it was all your most cherished holiday sentiments pinned to the mat in an Argentine death choke. That one year, that's exactly what it was. And, it, and it's, uh, that's kind yeah, of what it that's a pretty accurate, is. pretty accurate description. So what inspired this, and when did it first start? We don't remember. <laughs> we, we were trying to remember we if it was eight years ago or nine years ago, so we're going to say 15. Yeah, and um, what happened was I had a bunch of insane, just wrong Christmas songs, and Mark had a bunch of insane and, and wrong Christmas songs, so we decided to put them together into a show that yeah. we've always done in this space uh, called The Christmas Smackdown. And then we wrote a couple of songs together, so we've got some that are mute. Created some new material, yeah. Yeah, and then we, you know, as the years went by, we kept adding and adding and adding. Now we have to, mm-hmm. uh, we have to cut things now. You know, yeah, we have we're, an embarrassment we're, of riches. We do. We've cut, we've cut some really favorite songs. I heard about it last night from people. Did you really? Yes, I yeah. did. But that's Good. just life. And uh, one year we did it in Chicago, and one year we did it in New York. And so it's had a, it's having some, you know, yeah. stretching out a little bit. It's becoming an alternate Christmas tradition for many people. Many sick people like ourselves. Now, I was introduced to both of you and your work through Reanimator the Musical. And we've just been served some dinner here so that, so that Cynthia doesn't have her stomach growling through the entire performance tonight. <laughs> so I met you guys because of Reanimator the Musical, which was brilliant. So tell me, what can somebody expect from a Christmas Smackdown show in terms of the music? The music is, uh, well, cheerful and bright songs that run the gamut, you know, from... Yeah, cheerful uh, and bright songs that run the gamut of cheerful and bright songs down into horrible... That deal with alcoholism, suicide, decapitation... Arson. Furry um, obsession. Yeah, that one's not this year. year. (laughs) Yeah, the furry song. I'm sorry we're not doing furry speech tonight because it's a good song. Drunken... Uh, A lot of alcohol. Christmas time is for drunks. Christmas time is for drunks. Holly mistletoe. Christmas time is for drunks. A lot of alcohol uh, abuse and, uh, you know, animals misbehaving because they're inebriated. Well, divorce. You, oh, we, yeah, divorce. oh, cannibalism. We forget cannibalism. Cannibalism, cannibalism. <laughs> cannibalism and divorce. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's Christmas. What can I tell you? Well, I want to play some clips. Uh, You sent me some of the songs, but one of them begins like a song we all know. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. 
kids. So the starting point for this is something very familiar. And if you're not listening carefully, you may not realize that this song is mocking the whole Christmas tradition. So tell me a little bit about this song before we hear any of it. I suppose we're going to talk, you're talking about the, the Santa Claus yeah. number. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, uh, I just became interested in the idea of how people internalize authority. <laughs> so it's kind of about that. I, I feel like I ought not to say any more. He knows when you're awake. He knows that you're maturing with every breath you take. He knows that you've had feelings that make you warm down there. When thinking of a teacher or straddling a chair He knows you've been exploring He knows your hands have found Their way beneath the covers To roam and poke around You can't keep it a secret Cause Santa knows you well That's why he's gonna send you Straight down to Christmas hell And there you'll suffer torment Beyond your wildest dreams The sound of sleigh bells jingling Will cover up your screams They'll tie your hands behind you In a pretty Christmas bow Then feed you rancid eggnog Beneath the mistletoe You'll choke on Christmas cookies With bits of broken glass While elves with flaming pitchforks Impale your naked ass And so for endless eons You'll tremble and you'll quake At the power of Saint Nicholas So where do you get your inspirations for these kind of things? Because in this one you're using a traditional song that people are familiar with. So be good for goodness sake Oh, you better watch out You better not cry Better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. And then just going off in a completely left-turn direction on the lyrics. I think we basically love Christmas music. This is our downfall. We really love it. And may I, may I tell? You may, yeah. If you haven't seen Mark Nutter exposed to Nat King Cole singing... Oh, come all ye faithful, you haven't lived. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. You think you know Mark Nutter and he's cynical and he's a hard ass. And Can I say hard ass? Good. Uh, and he becomes a little puppy, with a weepy puppy when he hears that song. I do. I cry big time when I hear that. Something about it. I don't know. I don't know. And we throw in, we do, uh, we, we use sort of as ballast in this show, we have a couple of, <laughs> of really, really pretty swear to God Christmas songs because it gives you some place to, gives you something to bounce off. And, and we have some serious singing chops on display on that stage uh, because of Cynthia's other life as a choral singer. She knows these, these great singers. And, you know, again, if folks from the Reanimator musical joining us as well, and they're no slouches either.
so there are there will be brief moments of genuine sentiment and uh, heartfelt look, look Christmas. You have to look fast. Yeah, yeah. They will rapidly be undercut, so don't worry. <laughs> if you just have slipping into sentiment, we'll save you. Now, you mentioned cannibals. Tell me a little bit about that. That's the encore. <laughs> it's the encore. Um, it's, a, it's a song. It's a true story. It's um, a song uh, called The Ballad of Armin and Bernd Jürgen. You may know this story because it's just the sort of thing I think you might know. It happened in a little town of um, Rottenburg, swear to God, Rottenburg, Germany. Uh, in about 2002, this, this really did happen, and it's German cannibalism. And you can't have more fun than German cannibalism at Christmas. Ever since Armin's dear mother had died, he was lonesome as lonesome could get. Like other lost souls who are starving for love, he posted his dream on the net. He got some replies, but they all sounded strange, or afraid to commit, or too fat. Till one day, Ben Jürgen replied from Berlin, and he knew it was more than just chat. Yeah, yeah, kill me and eat me, yeah, yeah, I'm on my way there. I always thought no one ever would dare kill me and eat me by air. Yeah, 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 kill me and eat me by air. Do you really want, I mean, if you want, I'm not going to give you details because you need to just hear it, unless you'd like details. It's sickening. It's really. <laughs> so by the way, you know, after Cynthia created this song and we performed it a few times, Stuart Gordon directed a play on stage in Los Angeles called, called Taste. Taste, which was based on the same, on the same um, incident in Rotten. I guess it was not in Rotten. No, they reset it for that. The, the playwright, um, whose name was a yeah. wonderful play, and I can't remember his name. He yeah. set it in New York, and, yeah. and it worked very well. And, they, and Chris McKenna from the original Reanimator was in that play, and he was wonderful. But the song uh, predates that by kind of a lot. By kind of a lot, I know. Yeah. yeah. By March, Armin had him all cut up and labeled by April Levy, a tournament. He watched as his tummy grew great with Bernd Jürgen and gave birth to each little tournament. <laughs> Armin was faithful and ate no one else, though his insides were growling and gurgling. Bernd Jürgen with couscous, Bernd Jürgen tartar, Bernd Jürgen, Bernd Jürgen, Another song that you sent me that I got to listen to uh, involves angels and angels who aren't necessarily doing their job. <laughs> yes, they are. They are substandard, substandard <laughs> angels. Um, and it's it's um, you know it's not a word that really scans well or sings well, so I don't use the word substandard when I'm describing the angels. Use another word that and we're not that, sure is suitable for broadcast. You can, you can say anything you want on a podcast. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Well, the song is called Angels because you don't want to give away the store too much, but it's really, the refrain is shitty angels. According to my friends, there's angels watching over me. They're up there all the time. And just because I do not see them doesn't mean 
I get mugged in Union Square Must mean that I got shitty angels I got some pretty shitty angels According to my friends These angels work in every town They're guarding all of us They keep us well and safe and sound I saw a disaster on TV Some said their angels helped them flee Their angels rocked But apparently the folks who died had Shitty angels They got the really shitty angels My friends are losing patience They say that I'm resisting The whole mysterious angel thing If I would just believe If I would look around and listen I would hear the angels sing Hear the angels sing because I had so many friends who told me that they were really seeing and feeling angels just everywhere. And I just went, uh-huh. And I wrote the song. The angels <laughs> guarding you and me They sleep till noon and watch TV They trade their harps for GHB They pee their pants in an emergency And they only sing when they're hammered there for many, many years. 
Um, I was acting for a long time, Broadway and off-Broadway, and uh, jump out and do a regional show, come back. So that was what I did there for a long time. I am currently a New Yorker, although I lived out here in Los Angeles for about 19 years. And then, um, yeah, I moved to New York by way of Chicago. I've been all over. But uh, I come back here only for Christmas. I was just going to say, I was born in New York, but your music and your sense of humor seems to have a little bit of a New York slant because there's this edge to it, and I, I don't know what else to describe, but it, it, there's a certain tone to it that feels very much at home. That makes me happy that that, that strikes you that way. That makes me feel very good. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, got a little cynical, a little um, sophisticated, smart, elegant. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of fuck you. Oh, yeah, a lot of fuck exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we've opened the gates now. First shitty and now fuck you. Well, you know, I got permission from Beth. Yeah, Beth said it was all right. So when you're doing music like this, which is humorous, are you approaching it with a very from a very serious angle? I mean, so how do you tackle comedy in music? How is that different from something else? I don't think things are funny if you are not taking them seriously. I think you take, take stuff very seriously, and then it's funny. And if you're trying to be funny on top of funny, you're double-joking it and you're going to fail. So for the most part, our approach is, you know, pretty straight ahead. I suppose, except when it's not. That doesn't mean you don't end up screaming. I mean, you can certainly end up screaming, but it's still coming from a, a, some kind of yeah. real... A, a real thing, yeah. yeah, yeah for, exactly. for, I mean. for me, so frequently, it's it's uh, it's anger. I think <laughs> rage and anger. Yeah, I'm not alone in this. You know, Rollo May said creativity is born of anger. So then he went out like and punched knew. somebody. And he, it was yeah. terrible. <laughs> and then he wrote a book because he, he was so angry. So give me a little background uh, in terms of how you've come to this place. What your kind of uh, background is in music. Oh, in music, you know, I, I'm the, 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 you know, jack of many trades, master of none, pretty classic. I studied acting in school, but I always had a, you know, little music going on. I played piano in church. That was, my, you know, I started playing piano when I was like five or six years old. Uh, and I was much more employable as a piano player than I was as an actor, so I chased that down for Especially when you were five. Oh, I mean, that's because that's impressive. You know. <laughs> yeah. The people yeah. want that. They wouldn't let me in the clubs that wanted <laughs> to hire me. The, uh, and, uh, and then I started writing, and I got jobs out here in television and movies writing. So I've been all over the map. But, uh, you know, music just does that special tug. Always keeps coming back to music for me. And did you actually study music? Never. Self-taught. Yeah, likewise self-taught. I, I because I sing. I I did musicals. You know, I've done that that thing that you do when you can sing. And I don't I don't like a lot of musicals. The ones I I like, I really love. But for the most part, I anger. And uh, but I did some. Yeah. I know yeah. we we share that. Um, but <laughs> I did I did I did the Broadway musical deal, and then I came to LA and started writing, and I became a screenwriter. And that really was that kind of really took over my life in a big way and I started singing I started performing as a singer-songwriter really because of a woman named Melanie Chartoff do you know Melanie mm -hmm. yeah well she said you know you got to start doing this at more than just my house she said you got to get out and do this so she made me do it I owe her and um, then we just this this sort of took off as yet another thing but um, yeah and I was you know after 
not getting work in Hollywood. After getting work in Hollywood, then I got no work in Hollywood, and I was terribly depressed. And I said I should come back to the music. And so I started writing a show with three friends from Chicago who had also been transplanted out here, and that show was called The Bicycle Man. And uh, I got to like do a bunch of songs in that and get back to that, and it was really fun. And uh, a mutual friend of ours, Elaine Aronson, uh, was working with my wife, who's a comedy writer at the time, and said, you should meet my friend Cynthia Carl. And here's, here's the story. I saw The Bicycle Men. Elaine said, you got to see this show. I saw The Bicycle Men. This is true. I saw The Bicycle Men seven times before I ever met Mark Nutter. That's how great it was. That's how funny it was. And I don't yeah. see things twice. And Elaine said, you should meet my friend. She's seen your show seven <laughs> times. And I said, why would I want to meet this woman? She sounds insane. And, but I did meet her, and she was insane. But it was a very sort of uh, complimentary insanity to my own. Yeah, then, then we discovered that we were, in fact, siblings, and that was the most fun. <laughs> well, the fact that you mentioned you don't like musicals on the whole may explain why I love your music so much, <laughs> because I share that same feeling. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think there should be a little secret society of us who, us, of us who don't. Yeah, yeah, don't have that love. I'm not a very musical person. I, I actually consider myself quite musically challenged and tone deaf and can't keep a beat or anything, but I'm, I want to go back to your reanimator work, just because, talk about seeing something a lot of times, I think I may have seen that more than two dozen times, including crossing the Atlantic to see you guys yeah. in Scotland. But the music never got tiring like it never gets tiring and I always feel like on some level I'm finding something new in it so how do you accomplish something like that what is it to somebody who doesn't understand music what are you doing that's different from what a lot of other people do if I knew the answer to that question I would have done it over and over again many times I could bottle it and sell it I don't know it just kind of came rushing out of me I'd, so I I see reanimator and I'm like where did that come from where did oh, that song come from it's such a great yeah. unbelievably great score yeah. I just want everybody in the world to hear it because he just did such a I great just work. had some vague ideas you know that like well maybe it's a horror musical I should listen to a lot of Bernard Herrmann which I did uh, and stole from him uh, and just kind of <laughs> grabbed at any sort of notion that was available to, to get the music out and Stuart Gordon never done a musical before and I just started you know writing scene after scene and said, yeah great keep going <laughs> keep going keep going uh, I, I, there was there was no much not much calculation behind it at all just, it's just such a gorgeous gorgeous piece of work I, um, yeah I look forward to you know the, the the original cast album is going to be a thing very soon yeah, you know about that right? this, uh, this summer and uh, you know, watch this space for more details. Well, it just seems like the music is complex. Like, it doesn't, it seems like there's multiple things going on at the same time in terms of the music and in terms of what's being sung as well. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, again, I got artsy. Sometimes it seemed, it but, seemed but like also, important to be artsy. You did that great structural work. His songs in that show move the story forward. They don't, they're not just, they're rarely just a, yeah. a, you know, kind of a sidebar for for a character or something. They're really usually well, making something happen. Well, it was helpful to have a strong story to begin with, and I did. You know, the script that, that Dennis Paoli and Stuart and William Norris came up with is a pretty clean narrative line, 
Uh, so that work was done for me, you know, and I just, uh, I just had to go. And Herbert West is an amazing character. Uh, he's kind of like what a musical likes, you know, that larger-than-life character with a huge drive, like Mama Rose and Gypsy. I give life, I give the gift of reanimation. I give life, I give it freely, this is my calling. I'm the modern heir to Prometheus, bringing fire to man. I give life because I can. I'm not saying I'm God. I'm not saying I'm God. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I give life, life with no purpose, life for its own sake. Pure life, life like a songbird, life like a hailstorm. I have a desperate need for vitality, so I give and Life so the dead may live. In terms of singing it, because you were one of the, the perform- performers in Reanimator, in terms of singing it, what was that like and what did you find enjoyable about doing it repeatedly? Doing it repeatedly? Well, it's, I'm, I'm used to doing an, an eight shows a week deal, so that never gets old for me uh, when it's something good, when it's something really worthwhile. And Mark's stuff. It's not easy to sing. He's got intervals from space in there, and it's very, very tough. It was particularly tough for the people who don't read music. They, they, there was a lot of pounding out of parts. Um, so I was a little bit luckier in that way because I could read it. But it's, it, it's complex. Like you said, it's complex and twisty, and That's great. it's got such excitement in it all the time that it made it very singable. And it also seems to be, like, in terms of style, it's like there's one that sounds like a tango, and there's one that sounds like it's out of the sound of music, and then there's another one that... So you, you seem... You, you didn't stick to just one particular style. Oh, no. Well, that's my comedic sense showing, you know. If I thought something could be funny, then I'd grab it, you know. Uh, I thought that the Dan talking to the dean about how he just saw a cat brought back to life... That, that should be modeled on I could have danced all night from my fair lady. Which you probably can tell now that you think about it, right? <laughs> he brought a cat back to life. Herbert West brought a cat back to life. The dead cat screamed, I'm alive! Or so it seemed to be precise. West did it twice. Herbert West brought a cat back to life. <laughs> I saw the cat and I laughed. Never mind that it's fine, it snapped in half. I was on. I felt giddy and I thought that I could fly. I'm still real high since Herbert West brought a cat back to life. My head was a swarm of buzzing bees as I pondered the possibilities. This is great. It's momentous. It has weight. It's more than grand. Please understand. You can blame my elation on reanimation. Herbert West brought a cat back to life. The tango between Dr. Hill and Herbert West, you know, tango, I, th- I thought this was interesting. I just found out when I was writing it, used to is a dance that was performed between two men in Argentina. Uh, men in a brothel waiting for the next uh, courtesan. So to pass the time, these men would dance the tango with each other. And I thought, oh, wow, that would be fun to see these guys doing a tango together. So 
That's where I Will Be Famous came from. I will be famous, I will be famous, done the work, I'll take the prize. I will be famous, I will be famous, you will vanish, I will plagiarize. Now to return back to Christmas Smackdown, there are some other songs, I think you called it uh, The Cheer Mix? Oh, Christmas yeah. cheer. Christmas yeah. cheer. So talk a little bit about what is Christmas cheer. <laughs> That's what Christmas means to me. <laughs> Remember how we mentioned alcohol and alcoholism being a running thread through the... Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you need to know much more about that yeah. other than just getting blood around the holidays seems to be my new tradition. See the lights. Yes, I do. I love my friends, who are you? Sorry, sorry, I'm sorry about your rug. For people who can't be here, um, explain a little bit about what this space is like. And you have a very cozy stage here and a very cozy... <laughs> you know, the, the, the general store here is impossibly quaint. I guess it was built by a Hollywood prop master. I think it was here before that, but then it became this uh, prop shop. This is um, there's a guy who's, who dresses sets, and that's what all this... I mean, you're looking at all this amazing yeah. stuff, and there's a lot of stuff here on the shelves for sale, these little plaid teddy bears, and, or gingham, rather, teddy bears over there. And that stove kind of right in the middle of the room. And it's Wood just... Stove. It looks like the, uh, the the Cracker Barrel that you'd yeah. find in Evansville, Indiana. You know, except it's real. Except it's real, It's yeah. real, and then there's a tin, pounded tin ceiling yeah. that's real. The floors are wood. It's tiny. The stage is just absurdly small, and we yeah, cram. Fifty people is a crowd in this space. Oh yeah, yeah. we've done it. We've crammed. Um, I think once we went upwards of fifty in here, and it was insane. But it, it can be done. It can yeah. be done. We may be doing it tonight. And it's such a quaint sort of environment. It sets off our songs rather nicely too. You know? We have to ask them to not run the espresso machine during songs. They've gotten very good about that now. So do do each of you have a favorite song in this collection? It's always kind of the, the newest one, you know. I mean, I like doing the stuff that works, but all the, but the, when you you know, it's my writer talking, you know, yeah. uh, that that when you write something new and you do it for the first time and you get laughs, it's like that's my new favorite. There it is. Do you know it's funny because the, I realized last night, in fact, when I was standing there listening to it, my favorite song is a song that I wrote that he sings, and yeah, it that's just. Fun. It, for, last night you killed me in it, and I was just, I was sitting there thinking, wow, I actually wrote that, and Mark's actually singing it, and it just made me very happy. And what's the name of that one? It's called Home for Christmas. I'm afraid to ask what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Las Vegas is involved. <laughs> I won't be home for Christmas. I'll be in Las Vegas singing I'll be home for Christmas. <laughs> Face it, baby, there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe I'll be home for Christmas next year, but I doubt it. I won't be home for Christmas. 
you'll have to muddle through without me. Kiss the kids, and if they cry, just stream my stuff on Spotify. Cause home for Christmas is not where I'll be. Tell little Chloe I'll bring her a shot glass. <laughs> and for Jake, an ashtray with his name. I'll be home in April, and for six days in July, but for the holidays there's just no place like Lucky Lulu's Starlight Lounge, and I won't be home for Christmas, no, I'll be in Las Vegas, swinging I'll be home for Christmas. And what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, thank right. You. Yeah. Thank you. So what is it that draws you to writing these kind of songs? Oh, it, it, I, I think they're necessary. And I don't hear anybody else really doing them to, to, to the extent that, that, that we do. Pardon me, if I'm chewing under your mic again. I'm just starving. Um, you want, if you want to bite of this, please feel free. Um, it's where the cynicism that we both have comes right butt up against the incredible sentimentality that we both have and we end up writing a show like this. Yeah, I think, you know what I, mean? I think that's good. I think that's right. Yeah. You know, I still, in spite of myself, I still, you know, give in to some gooey Christmas feelings, you know. I try to snap out of it, you know. That's when the alcohol helps again. <laughs> Somebody told me you wrote a song about... Is it Baby and the Paper Shredder? <laughs> oh, yeah, the Baby Shredder song. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's marvelous. And, and, and we tried a rather good music video of it, too, that Cynthia is featured in. Yes, go, go to YouTube and look for Mark Nutter, Baby Shredder. Seriously. Yeah. It's about uh, a man with a dream who goes to the patent office and tries to patent his baby shredder as a, you know, a way to prevent identity theft. She said, do you mean you want to get a patent for a tiny version of a paper shredder? I said, you've a misconception of exactly what my baby shredder does. It shreds whole babies. Today there's a problem we can't ignore. We see people victimized more and more. Identity theft can cost you lots of cash. You must take precautions whatever you do. You don't want a criminal tailing you and finding an unshredded baby in your trash. I saw from her shocked expression this could take a while and would be harder than I first expected. I said, if you please, a moment to equate you with the many features of my baby shredder. The slot on the top has been streamlined. It's three times as wide as the paper kind. That was a fault of previous designs. The baby solids get freeze-dried. The baby fluids seep down the side through durable, long-lasting copper lines. 
hundred up to four babies before emptying the bag. Of this, I'm sure, you can shred up to six if they're premature. <laughs> songs of his that I've had friends say, I'm sorry, that's just going too far for me. <laughs> it seemed to be one of the reasons I think that Stuart Gordon like tagged me to write Reanimator. I think he saw that and he said, oh, this, this might be the guy. Uh, I was just going to say that also, if you're, if you're at YouTube looking at Baby Shredder Angels, there's a video of Angels online, the shitty Angels song. Uh, go to uh, Cynthia Carl Angels. Out of this collection of songs you're going to be playing tonight, which one do you think goes too far? Is there one? I don't know if we've accomplished that, have we? No, I'm thinking that the certain moments of the cannibalism event might maybe, maybe kick it out yeah, where maybe, people don't really want to go. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, some people really want to <laughs> yeah. go. There are a couple I'm of to, uh, what else? mental I mean, pictures that that song exactly, paints. Exactly, exactly. Oh, and also, we, we heard last night, we heard a lot of, oh, ouch, kind of stuff when we were singing our divorce song, oh, which yes. we wrote together. It's called, <laughs> it's called All the Best. It's two people wishing each other all the best. Now it's over. Seems our romance that began must end. I'm not bitter, but like you said, it's over. And as a friend, I wish you all things. All the best. All the best. I wish you all the best. Trucks that carry all those cars never drop one on top of you. <laughs> May the ice beneath your skates never crack and send you down into the depths of some dark lake alone and screaming. <laughs> May you not catch any sexually transmitted diseases from the losers. You're sure to spread your legs for. <laughs> This is a very intimate space. You can see the audience very well and their reactions. So what kind of reactions do you get? Are you getting people who are fans of yours and completely go along, or do you ever get that moment where there's a gasp? There's a moment where there's a little bit of a chill of that feeling of, am I supposed to laugh at this? Uh, it's a song called The Fundamentals of Christmas, and it's two, it's two fundamentalist Christians trying to come to terms with the fact that Jesus was Jewish. And you're, you're, there's a little moment sometimes where people new to it are going, ah, do I get to laugh here or not? And then by the end of the tune, yes, they're laughing. It's the very first Christmas in Bethlehem town. The shepherds are watching. Oh, yeah. 
walked out uh, last we night. We did lose some people. Yeah. We don't. We don't know why. We don't know Who why. Who are those people, and where did they go? <laughs> we hope they were offended. We, you know, it probably well, was just something minor, like they had to, you know, feed the meter. But we'd like to think we offended them. Well, this notion of offending people with humor is something, especially right now <laughs> with this year's politics. Uh, do you feel there is a need to offend people through humor, and, and what does that serve? If this were visual, I could show you the Venn diagram where I think, you know, uh, obscene is over here in this little circle, and then humor is over here, and then they they intersect, you know, and in that little space where they intersect, there is stuff that's really filthy and funny, but a lot of stuff that's really filthy just isn't funny, and a lot of stuff that's funny isn't filthy. So it it really doesn't, you know, it's, you know what I mean about the Venn diagram? I know. I use the example of, of, you know, my, my, my comedic heroes are Monty Python, and I always think about Mr. Creosote uh, throwing up in the French restaurant repeatedly. Uh, you know, these guys were not dummies, uh, but somehow they got away with it. I, you know, when smart guys do really gross and horrible humor, I'm there. You know, if, if, if they're not that smart or if they haven't done something that's not, that's not gross and it's still funny, then, you know, yeah. what am I trying to say here? Oh. Yeah, I don't know. For me, the, the, uh, the big fat political humor that I know there's going to be a lot of, it's kind of, it's almost, he is, sorry, the Donald Trump is such a, a, a wide, that's a barn door of a target. You cannot miss. And I just don't write stuff that hits, the, that's that kind of, I'll find some little corner of observational something that makes me go, what's that thing in the corner? Yeah, sure, yeah. You, yeah, know, what more, I, you know what I mean. More obscure. Yeah, uh, yeah I, a friend did a, a musical review in Chicago this fall called Fuck Trump, where she approached all the songwriters she knew and asked them if they would like to contribute something, and I did, and then I'm realizing, boy, this is, this is awfully familiar territory, and every song is going to have a tiny hands reference and a hair reference and a build the wall reference. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's just, it's kind of limited, so I think in a bigger picture, I just want people to get giddy and silly, uh, you know, I think that, that, that's a big, that would be a bigger service, I think. So you said you've been doing this show for eight, possibly 15 years, yes. and, uh, <laughs> and you keep adding to it. So how do you keep it fresh, and how do you keep your interest and excitement about it up each year? It's a short season, for one thing. Yeah. You know, we slam this thing up, we do it for three nights or two nights, and then we're gone. So yeah, it's and not- I don't perform that much uh, outside of sm- This is my big moment on stage, you know. It's like I rehearse for a year, <laughs> and I have three shows, and then I go back and uh, look forward to the next year. So it, the excitement is no trouble, you know. <laughs> it's, it's like a big event. It would be a different story if like, we were doing the Broadway thing, you know, like... <laughs> Eight shows a week, then it would See, become a grind. I think that would kill you because I know what your attention span is about doing your stuff over and over. Yeah, yeah. I'm used to it. I can ju- I can do that for some uh, reason. That's, that's yeah, an okay no, thing. I would be. Oh God, I, I I played piano for long running shows. Boy, after three months, I was just praying for actors to fall <laughs> or forget lines, just anything to shake things up a little bit. <laughs> is there a place for you to? to play this kind of music or to find an audience for this kind of music? Is it hard? Is it a small audience? And do you basically just kind of do this 
um, on the side while you have other jobs? Well, yeah, I, like I say, I'm a screenwriter and I also just finished a novel. So this is like, this is, and I do the singer-songwriter thing as well. But, but here's, here's what we were talking about last night. What we feel like we need is somebody who may be out there who is a producer kind of person with massive energy, massive idea, who gets what we're doing and is an intersection to the rest of the with the rest of the world? You know what I mean. So like a that could be the the conduit. The conduit thank you to the rest of people. Yeah, so we we find that person who can connect us up with audiences, uh, and then you know we are we would love to just have this rolling. We did it in Chicago with four people that were not us. So. That was cool because we realized the material, not a us. single one of them was us. Yeah. And on any night, uh, I, I, I feel like we know that the material stands up without us, which is cool. And you'll see tonight, we've given away a lot of our songs to the, these wonderful people who are in the show with us. So, All right, well, thank you both. I, they're, they're playing the music. They're cueing everybody. So. Nice transition. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. Beth Accomando, I am your fan. Yeah. I, I think you're so great. And thank you for the Christmas treats. Beth made Christmas treats. There's alcohol involved. Oh, yes. with alcohol involved. Yes, let's go. Why are we sitting bases. here? Nothing as pathetic as a reindeer who's been drinking. <laughs> now Vixen's gonna talk too much. Tell you all a story. Not the kind of thing you want to hear on Christmas Eve. I'm sorry, but up there in that sky tonight, on the magic flying sled, driver is not who you think. Santa Claus is dead. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this sick and twisted holiday edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. If this has put you in a charitable giving mode, then please go to kpbs.org slash feedthejunkie and give till you can give no more. We'll be ever thankful. But if this episode has turned you into a Scrooge, then maybe you could head over to iTunes and just give the podcast a review. That doesn't cost you anything but a little bit of your time. I'll be on holiday break this month and next, but I've picked out some of the most popular episodes to entertain you during the break in case you might have missed them. So get ready for some Batman nostalgia, some real science, and a little something to put you in the mood for the Oscars next year. So till our next film fix, I'm Betha Commando, your resident cinema junkie. Ours is not the nicest hotel in town. We're really broken down. We're a disgrace. We have a lobby that's filled with trash. Our doorman has a rash and half a face. <laughs> We're not in the frogers. Not in folders. Our tops have roaches. Our sheets have odors and they're wet. <laughs> and yeah, we're the perfect place to stay this Christmas season. If you'd like to kill yourself for any reason, welcome to the Christmas Suicide Hotel. People who are tired of living pink and swell. There are razors in the cupboard. There are sleeping pills on the shelf. There are sturdy hooks just right for hanging mistletoe for yourself. Welcome to the Christmas Suicide Hotel. Here comes the customer. The expenses make me want to cry. Finally, I found a budget place to die. They have reasonable rates for someone on the skids. The money that I saved, I left to my wife and kids. 
PBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.